all of the utilities are very committed to helping their region recover from this epic challenge. This pandemic would be much more severe if it was combined with electric service being impacted. This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Downhauer. Today we are talking about utilities' response to COVID-19. At the time of this episode, we've now been working from home for two months. Many of us probably have a hard time remembering what it was like to do our jobs in an office, for instance. We've now had some time to collect some data on this new normal, and my guests and other utilities involved have documented some of these trends, and the results are fascinating about our habits as consumers. First off, you might be wondering why it took so long for me to do a COVID episode. A little behind the mark, huh? Well, if you've noticed one thing about my podcast is that I try to focus on topics that are evergreen, meaning my episodes from 2017 are still newsworthy today. Some energy podcasts focus on energy policy or news of that week. I don't know why anyone would go back to that and listen to it later on. My episodes are more about establishing technologies and serving as an informative source about them. But COVID has brought up some trends that might stick with us after the quarantine and social distancing have ended. And that does have value if you're listening to this after the spring of 2020. First off, there's the utilities themselves. I'll make this point in this week's episode and next. This is a crisis to be sure, but it's not as much a crisis for utilities. Now think about crises that would affect a utility. Usually these are events when power reliability is under threat. Hurricanes, storms, blackouts like the one in 2003. It began at 4.10 Thursday afternoon, a chain reaction power failure that swept the Northeast. Office workers poured into the streets. Traffic lights went out. <laughs> a virus where utility employees can safely distance and perform their jobs isn't that. In fact, I'd say that utilities like telecoms and food delivery services are on the happy side of this ledger. Remember when this first started? People were hoarding toilet paper, water, fuel, probably even purchasing electric generators. That's probably because their frame of reference were disasters like the ones I mentioned earlier. Seriously, if this virus wiped out a city's ability to purify water or maintain an electric grid, we'd be about two weeks away from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. The world had been through a trial by fire, and only the greatest warriors and their deadliest enemies emerged from the flames. Who are you? Now, luckily, the closest we get to Mad Max is checking it out from your favorite streaming service. So what has changed? Mainly our demand for electricity. It's likely your electric bills will be higher than this time last year because all of those things you do from your office, charge your phone, brew your second cup of coffee, power your laptop, is now pulling from your home's meter. My guess is that whereas the demand for energy typically dips during the day, it's steady because we never leave our homes. What's more interesting is that the demand for electricity at the end of the day is higher. Are we working later? Are we watching more TV instead of taking our kids to soccer practice? Unclear. And of course, what about the people who are tasked with keeping the lights on? I was kidding about us descending into post-apocalyptic territory, but that doesn't mean utilities are immune. There are some jobs that folks can't do from the comfort of home. Folks like our linemen, our control room operators. How do you keep them from getting sick? As we adjust to this new normal, one thing is clear. Utilities have a role to play to keep our lives as normal as possible. 
My guest today is Alexi Paso, lead author of a new paper examining the early lessons utilities have learned in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. The white paper was published by IEEE, the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers. Alexi is also Director of Distribution Planning, Smart Grid, and Innovation for ComEd, the utility serving Chicago and the surrounding area. Alexi says the paper, produced much like everyone else is doing these days, remotely over teleconferencing, came together over about a four-week span in April. He hopes to have another volume as we progress through the quarantine. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Alexi Paso. We're here with Alexi Paso, Director of Distribution Planning, Smart Grid, and Innovation for ComEd, and you're also the lead author of the IEEE Power and Energy Society White Paper on Electric Industries Response to COVID-19. Alexi, this is about a 50-page paper. It's got a lot of interesting information in it. Why don't you just tell us what some of your main findings were? Thank you, Chief, for the introduction and scheduling this interview. What we did, we prepared a white paper that collected practical experiences from those across the industry industry who have been facing this challenge head on. The key conclusions drawn here is that our industry experienced no major technical issues due to COVID-19 at the time of the report and are taking the necessary actions to assure that we continue to provide reliable and safe electric to our customers. I think just looking forward, one of the other conclusions was that we do need to continue to prepare for effects of potential disruptions to our supply chain and also continue to prepare for any major weather events or other events that might occur at the same time during the pandemic. Sure. And how is the effort collaborating on this report? More challenging than usual since it was all done remotely and globally. I guess we're all learning to work collaboratively online, right? Yeah, it really wasn't that much of a challenge. The co-authors for the paper are leading experts globally on the power and energy industry, and everybody's been busy as part of their own organizations to coordinate their efforts to respond to COVID-19. But somehow we were able to always find time to help each other out. One of the typical strategies that electric utilities deploy is the mutual assistance. I see it very parallel to the effort that we do in the industry, knowledge sharing and writing papers like this one to share the efforts that everybody's doing across the world. Yeah, one of the things I'm thinking about too is one of the last weeks of March is when I got sent home. All of us did, basically. (laughs) How soon after It was real serious, and I'd consider that pretty serious. We were all sent home. Was this report initiated? I think we officially put the team together at the very end of March, beginning of April, and basically took a week or two to collect the data and another week or two to pull the report together. We officially published it in late part of April. So everything came together very quickly, basically working around the clock to pull the report together. Yeah. Alexi, one of the things that I find really interesting about this report is, of course, the demand curve of electricity. Now, I think we can all kind of imagine what's going on there, but how has this duck curve moved? It's typically been high in the evening because we were all coming home, but now we've been home all day. Yeah, and I think it has varied from region to region, but we looked at some of the specific examples, how the load shapes have gradually evolved, really when the stay-at-home orders have been implemented for specifically U.S. across the country a little bit different times and going from March to the early weeks of April. Of course, there's also some changes in terms of the customer mix and the weather patterns happening at each of those times. We also saw in some of the areas, specifically like California, where we also would have a high DER, we're smoothing out and shifting the morning peaks to the later hours and overall experiencing a reduction in demand between the 10 a.m. to 6 
6 p.m. time. And that may have been a little bit of a contributor to the duck curve effect. We would see combined changes in load shapes with the solar generation being online during those daytime hours. You show a duck curve model for home use. And this is where it gets interesting to me because obviously it shows we're using more electricity during office hours because our office hours are at the house. But it takes an even larger bump up in the evening once we're home. Now you think that all things being considered, we were home before COVID, we're home after COVID. So why do you think we're using more electricity than we used to after work? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And I don't know if I have a really good answer for it, but yeah, I think we're learning a lot on how the consumption patterns are evolving as we're moving forward with the pandemic. I think that a lot of the utilities that we surveyed relate messages in terms of experiencing loads that are similar to the weekend days during the weekdays. A lot of them are taking actions also to adjust their forecast on the system operator level and taking some innovative approaches how to mitigate that. But the core thing is that we are adjusting to those demand shifts and meeting the customer demands, even though we do have changes in those consumption patterns. <laughs> you don't think it's just maybe more people are watching Netflix at night? <laughs> it might be. Yeah. It might be. That might be a factor. <laughs> you also explain how renewables are affecting supply. For instance, there's a sharp increase in what we call ramping periods in the evening. What's happening there? Yeah, I think it has to do with that combination of lower loads during the daytime combined with the solar generation. So it's not really impacting the amount of solar that's getting generated. That's really driven by the sunlight. So with that and with lower load periods during the day, those ramps between different hours when the solar generation goes away, and loads start to increase as we're going into those nighttime hours, going back to your Netflix example, we might see some higher than normal ramp rates in some of the power systems. Yeah. And something else I noticed was overall, the curve just seems a little bit flatter throughout the day. So let's assume that many of us were to continue to stay home permanently, working, not unemployed, but <laughs> hopefully working, and businesses open back up. Would that lead to a flatter curve than business as usual? Yeah, I think that that was kind of a common theme that we heard through our surveys, that people were seeing the loads flatten. There was more flexibility in terms of at what time each of the different power consumers devices are utilized at the customer premise. I think the, also the big part is that a lot of the commercial load is away for the time. <laughs> but think about a case where you open the offices at the same time while you still have a large population working from home. That also might cause some interesting shifts into the load patterns. You talked about a lot of companies are not at work right now. These big commercial and industrial customers, you use two bold-faced terms here, rate decoupling and volumetric rates. What is the difference between those and how could those affect utilities? It's how utilities get paid <laughs> at those yeah, levels, right? That's right, at its core. So the volumetric rates, the rates are based on the volume of electricity that they distribute. And rate decoupling, it effectively separates the cost of energy from the T&D service costs. You could imagine when you have those costs separated, the impacts of load reductions would be significant to those utilities that are operating in this decoupled environment. 
government. Decoupling rates are essentially more steady, right? Because T&D, that's transmission distribution cost, that's always pretty steady. If it's a volumetric rate that the utility is working under, they're hurting more than the decoupling because the rates are down because a lot of these businesses are not operating right now, correct? Yeah, that would be correct. Yeah. You discuss how many of the largest utilities have suspended disconnections and halted debt collections. Do we have any information on how that's affected their numbers? I also assume it's going to be hard to come back months later and collect that money or even enforce customers who decide they're not going to pay their bills through this. And I'm also surprised too, because it doesn't seem like utilities stock prices have really dropped all that much. I mean, of course they all went down, but they're all pretty steady at this point. Yeah. So we didn't really get into that that much during the survey, but we did notice a number of utilities reporting that they have suspended the disconnections and halted some of their debt collections. And I think they were doing it mainly for two reasons. First off, experiencing this pandemic together with the customers. And I think the second one, many said across the country and across the world, it's just the right thing to do for our communities. And all of the utilities are very committed to helping their region recover from this epic challenge. We didn't really see specific information around that, but we know that this was implemented in a large scale. Sure. Alexi, I used to work in the oil and gas sector. Obviously, they are hard hit. I'm hearing a lot of stories about friends back in Texas, for instance. But your report says that you think the reduction in natural gas prices will move utilities away more quickly from coal or even some nuclear. But those gas prices won't be permanently as low as they are, right? Why would you think that a drop in gas prices due to COVID would lead to a bigger transition away to these baseload fuels? Yeah, I think those generation mixtures for the future, they're very difficult to predict at this point and really can't say how much this is going to impact the generation shifts in the long term. I think, however, conclude that some of the areas reported that they had seen at least temporary increase in the proportion of generation that came from the renewables kind of goes back to that duck curve example that we talked earlier. I think one of the other things that it might lead to or might be a big change or impact coming out of this is that thoughts on accelerating electrification, specifically in transportation sector in many regions, as they have seen reduction in emissions and would like to maintain that even when we return back to some form of normal from the pandemic. That's a good point. And one of the things that I always say to folks is, you're the head of generation for a utility. How are you planning what your mix is going to be when a facility that's around for 40 or 50 years goes through about half a dozen presidential administrations during its lifetime? That's got to be almost impossible to plan for, considering that public policy changes about once every decade. Yeah, that's definitely a challenge there. Yeah. Speaking of oil and gas, I found that when times were lean, those companies found ways to become more efficient. (laughs) I noticed that I wasn't flying as much when I was there. How might utilities take this as an opportunity to see some permanent reductions to O&M, as we call it? Yeah, I don't think we heard so much regarding that, but I think utilities seem to be focused on keeping the regions running. This pandemic would be much more severe if it was combined with electric service being impacted. Certainly the utilities have a major part to play in order to keep those parts of the society running that are still running full steam during the pandemic, hospitals, and now homes as they're the primary locations for the businesses. You talk about employees at control centers. I'd never even thought about this. Tight indoor spaces. These guys are critical. (laughs) They have to be there. What are some of them doing around the country to mitigate risk? Yeah, the control centers really were the centers of the risk mitigation strategies for the utilities and the system operators that we talked about. Simply 
because of the mission criticality, but also because of the tight spaces that they may operate normally under. There are a number of different measures that the utility system operators implemented. Some went as far as sequestering of the control center operations for certain period of times. Personal protective equipment use was also implemented practically everywhere. And when utilities started to implement them, the control center operators were the first ones really to go through that. We heard somewhere where they were operating eight hour schedules that they went to 12 hour shifts. We also heard about isolations of the shifts and virtual turnovers between the shifts. So you may have two or more control center locations. When one shift leaves, that control center is empty and operations are moved into the second control center. One key item that we heard largely was the reducing the number of people in the control center just to the critical. And in some cases, having a remote control center operators supporting the control center operators that are still at the site. Alexi, I think in one example, you said that control center operators were not going home. They were almost quarantining between their shifts, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we saw a couple examples where utility sort system operators implemented the sequestering protocol where you would basically stay on site for a certain period of time and not go home between the shifts to maintain that continuity in operations. One of the things I noticed, anyone who drives around a major city, you're in Chicago, I'm in Charlotte, construction workers, <laughs> there seems to be no slowdown to construction right now. And those guys and office staff, I think, treat this very differently. Did you notice any of that with some of the construction workers handling this a little differently? Yeah, we certainly looked at it from both the office staff, but also from the field staff. I think yeah. both are really implementing social distancing, but in different ways. Field workers might be implementing 60 feet distancing along with the PPE, while us working in an office normally, we can implement the social distancing through the remote work. But practically everywhere where we surveyed, there was a big focus on the social distancing in the field work and the PPE use in the field. So having the mask and the respirators available. Have you seen shortages in material in the supply chain? I work in transmission, breakers, transformers, stuff like that. At least our vendors aren't seeing any slowdown in supply, but are, are you seeing slowdowns in supply anywhere else? Yeah, I think the main ones that we heard about were the shortages in PPE, but I think there were also some anticipation that we might see it specifically in Europe and North America. We did hear from one of the utilities that they had had some issues on procuring new transformers coming from some of the areas that were impacted in China. We also heard some examples from, I think it was Spain and Italy, where manufacturing sites for windmills were closed during the pandemic months in Spain and Italy. So basically any place that's got a supply chain through one of those really hard hit areas, they can expect to see some shortages, right? Yeah, there could be some impacts depending on what type of manufacturing was done and how much limitations there were to manufacturing at that country's response. You write that you surveyed the utilities. I'm curious if they had a plan in place for something like this, a pandemic. Look, I mean, they plan for severe weather, cyber attacks, but how up to date were they on a true pandemic plan? I think as far as the utilities, all of them understand that their role is to serve the communities and provide power and that being essential and very critical function. And practically all utilities have emergency preparedness teams, they really consider worst case scenarios, really multiple worst case scenarios in parallel. I think we heard that the business continuity plans were common practice and 
pandemic plans had been a very hot topic and many utilities had those in place because of the previous epidemic scares that didn't necessarily materialize, at least here in North America. But regardless, there were plans put together that the utilities could act on and update during this time. But things that we're very comfortable with now, working from home, which means that basically every employee is on a VPN network communicating with their office, the social distancing, the PPE, things like that. Was that already in place or were they still having to improvise? I think it depended from utility and system operator standpoint, but a lot of the people that were surveyed had those in place. Maybe there's some refinement of some specific examples, but generally the industry was prepared for this based on the survey. Yeah. What's next on the horizon for your group at IEEE? Do you plan to update this paper? It was about three weeks of information (laughs) at the time you published. Are you working on something now? Yeah, we're certainly evaluating the interest and the need for volume two of this work. And I think there's a lot of interesting items specifically around the longer term impacts, kind of some of those things that we already talked about. And I think the other one is how are we returning to normal and how Mm. different utilities can share practices on that that could also inform how others might do that. Certainly looking to do additional work on this with the team. Now, what's next for utilities around the globe? What new practices and models are here to say? I'll tell you personally, Alexi, one of the things that has come up in a couple of department-wide calls, and I'm sure this is for any company, is the first question they ask the leadership is, are we still going to have jobs? And then the next one is, hey, I kind of like working from home. I feel I can get a lot more done. Would you consider doing this permanently? With that, I'd ask you, what do you think is here to stay? I think we have learned a lot already on this. And I think certainly we've learned a lot about working from home and how we can do this effectively between the different teams. I think the continuity in terms of further enhancing the flexibility of the grid as well as the resiliency remains there. And also utilizing things like analytics to help forecasting what might be some of the future impacts, whether it's from pandemic or something else, and how that might inform our decision making so that we can continue to execute our strategy. Overall, there's a lot of learnings in terms of what went well in terms of the response and how did we adapt to this new working situation and can we take some of those pieces like maybe more remote work and incorporate that to our normal operations. Sure. Well, Lexi, I'll tell you what, for 50 pages and basically about a month or so of data, this sure does illustrate a lot. And I can only imagine what another month or two might tell us as well. Very exciting read. I hope everyone checks it out. All right, Alexi Paso, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jay. That was Alexi Paso, Director of Distribution Planning, Smart Grid, and Innovation for ComEd, and lead author of an IEEE paper examining the early lessons utilities have learned in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Alexi and the Power Energy Society at IEEE have also produced webinars on this paper, which we'll link to on our website. I want to thank Alexi for his time, as well as Lisa McCausland at Interpros for setting this up. You can find plenty of pictures on energy-cast.com as well as on Instagram at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 85. Be sure to join us next week when we discuss the communication strategy to COVID in one of the hardest hit regions during the pandemic. Until then, I'm Jay Dautenhauer. We'll see you next time.